You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Well, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're continuing our series in Gospel Foundations today as we address the topic of singleness. If you've been here over the last several weeks, you'll know that we were going through kind of a mini-series within Gospel Foundations on marriage. Five sermons on marriage. And as I've looked at the registration lists of those who have been here uh, in person during our Sunday worship, I've uh, crunched some numbers and I, I observed that nearly a third of the people who have been with us attending our services over the last month are single, over a third. And that's not including children. I'm talking about adult individuals being here in person. One third of them have been single. Now my hope to my single friends who are here listening again, that my hope is that you've been able to benefit from those sermons on marriage, even though you're not married, uh, because God made marriage ultimately for his glory. And we can delight in what God has made for his glory, even though it's not part of our lives, even if it doesn't belong to us. You can enjoy a mountain as you behold what God has created, even if you don't live on it, or even if you don't own it, or you can enjoy the created world. You can behold nature and look at the complexity with which God made things without owning those, that part of nature that you are observing. You can enjoy anything that God has made, not because of what it does for you, but because of what it reveals about him. But when it comes to marriage, I think we all know that it's not that simple. You know, when your friends get married, it feels like you're getting left behind. When you see pictures of your engaged or married friends on social media, you may feel resentment. Resentment that you don't have that. Or perhaps anxiety that you may never have that. Perhaps you experience both. The reality is that talking about marriage is a sore spot for many singles. Indeed, you could say that it's a source of temptation for you. You're tempted to complain and grumble about your season of life. It tempts you to be discontent with what God has called you to in this moment. It may even tempt you to make an idol of marriage and look to it to meet needs in your heart that it was never meant to to fill. Well, if that's you, then, then God wants to address you today. The God who created marriage and the God who created singleness and the God who created you and who knows you better than you know yourself He wants to speak to you through his word and address what's going on in your heart because he didn't create you to find your satisfaction in marriage. He created you to find your satisfaction in him so that whether you are married or single, you would have an unshakable satisfaction in Christ. Now I should mention that this sermon's gonna be a little different than typical sermons in our church Here at Sovereign Grace Church, we are committed to what is known as expository preaching. Um, Simply put, that is is preaching that is focused on 
the, the original intent of the biblical authors. We want to understand uh, the flow of logic. We want to dive into the context to make sure that what we're saying is what the biblical author is saying. Now, I'm going to be hopefully doing that, but we're not going to be spending too much time understanding Paul's overall argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He talks about many different things in this chapter, one of which is singleness. And for the purposes of of trying to serve our singles, we're just going to kind of zoom in on what this chapter teaches about singleness and not get into uh, the other things that Paul says. So in that sense, it's going to be different from usual. I want to point that out to you. We're still going to be rooted in the scriptures. We're still going to be applying the scriptures to our lives, but it will not be an expository sermon as we are used to. And I want to point that out to you because I just believe that expository preaching is so important. It's not just a preference. It's not just about, you know, our, our brand of doing things at the church. We're committed to expository preaching because we're committed to God's word. Uh, we don't want you to be here to listen to a man, to listen to a preacher or to a pastor. We want you to be here to listen to God's word. And the most effective way of doing that is to, to dive into the text of scripture to make sure that what I'm saying is not contrary to what God is saying in his holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. So let's get to it. The title of this sermon is The Gift of Singleness. The Gift of Singleness. We're going to have three points today. First, the warning to singles. Second, the challenge for singles. And third, the opportunity for singles. The warning, the challenge, and the opportunity. First, the warning to singles. Now, the immediate context, if you look at the beginning of chapter 7, is you'll see that that Paul is correcting the the Corinthian church's view of marriage. That's the topic that he's addressing in this chapter in 1 Corinthians. Uh, It turns out that there were some members in the Corinthian church who had a deficient view of marriage. And they were saying that marriage is bad. That if if you... Um, get married, if you enjoy intimacy in marriage, you are somehow less spiritual, less pious than Christians are meant to be. Now, we might expect Paul to say, no, no, you're, you're absolutely wrong. After all, Paul wrote Ephesians 5, the text that we saw last Sunday. He talked about the glories of marriage. He talked about how, how the, the, the love between a husband and his wife is the definitive, most beautiful picture of the love between Christ and the church. Paul has an exalted view of marriage. But instead of saying, no, 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 everyone should get married, you're completely wrong, marriage is the best, you know, everyone should want to get married, Paul says, well, both marriage and singleness are good. Both of them are good. Both of them have their place. In verses seven and eight, he says, I wish that all were as I myself am. That is a single He's a single man. Paul never got married in his lifetime. I wish that all were as as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Now you may wonder why Paul has chosen to address singleness here in 1 Corinthians and not in Ephesians. And if you're asking that, that's a good question. And, and, and to answer that, we need to remember that, that Paul is always writing his letters to a specific audience. 
And in the Corinthian church, there weren't just people who had a deficient view of marriage. There were also people who had an over-exalted view of sexuality. We saw that in, uh, there's, a, there's a man who has his, his father's wife. Um, there are those who are celebrating that, highlighting it as an example of, of liberality and freedom. So Paul has to address both camps, those who say that all sexuality is wrong and those who say that all sexuality is good. He's saying, he's responding to that by saying marriage is good and singleness is good. Each one is approved by God and each one is ordained by God to display his goodness. So why? Why is singleness good? What's so good about singleness? Why would Paul call singleness a gift from God? Well, his first answer, and this, this may be a little shocking, his first answer is that it saves us from the troubles and anxieties of marriage. Verse 28, he says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. That's not how we typically think about marriage, is it? You know, you, you walk into any uh, bookstore or convenience store or grocery store, you look at the, the magazines about, about marriage and, and weddings, and, and you, know, you see the, the, the white dress there, and just imagine the headline being, warning, enter at your own risk, or don't buy this dress because it'll cause you a lot of trouble. I mean, that's kind of like what Paul is saying here. Marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. Enter marriage at your own risk. And yet that's part of the biblical perspective of marriage. It's not the only perspective, but it is an important part of the perspective. Now, there are two ways in which marriage brings worldly troubles. The first reason is because of our own sinfulness. You know, marriage isn't just joining a man and a woman together. It is joining a sinful man and a sinful woman together. We saw this when we studied Genesis chapter three. Remember Genesis three, verse 16b, how sin has turned marriage into a never-ending struggle for power. Marriage is the original battle of the sexes. We saw this in 1 Peter three when Pastor Tim was, was teaching us about how patterns of disrespect infiltrate marriage and how difficult it is for men and women to avoid the ditch of passivity on the one hand and the ditch of dominance on the other. And now we see Paul saying here that those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Listen, marriage isn't easy. Anyone here who is married would affirm that to you, even though that's probably not what you're gonna see on their Facebook pages, okay? On our Facebook pages, we highlight all the beautiful, good moments. We curate our lives for the watching world to say, hey, everything's fine in that person's life, but that's not the reality. Marriage is hard. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And I'm not just talking about bad marriages. I'm talking about good marriages too. There's gonna be times in any marriage where both the husband and the wife will wonder, what, what have I gotten myself into? This, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I imagined when I said I do. Now we know that singles can envy the married, but did you know that the married can envy singles? Both, of course, are twisted ways of thinking because the envy comes from demonizing your present situation and idealizing what you wished you would be experiencing. Sam Albury, 
In his book, Seven Myths About Singleness, he writes, the temptation for many who are single is to compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. And the temptation for some married people is to compare the downs of marriage with the ups of singleness, which is equally dangerous. The grass will often seem greener on the other side. I was once at a wedding many years ago. Uh, It was one of the first weddings I ever went to. It was a classmate of mine where uh, she and her uh, groom were reciting custom-made vows to one another. You know, that's, that's a common practice these days, and they were pledging their undying love for one another. And they were talking about how precious they were to one another and, and, and all of that. Well, a few mo- months later, they were separated. And uh, a year later, they were divorced. Marriage isn't happily ever after. It's a struggle. And even after the struggle, some marriages don't, don't have a happy ending. The Apostle Paul knew both the glories of marriage and he knew the ugliness of marriage. He wrote that marriage refers to Christ in the church, but he also wrote that he wishes that all could be like him in order to spare them the troubles of marriage. Marriage is hard because of sin. Marriage is also hard because we live in a sinful world. This is the second way in which marriage leads us to worldly troubles. The day-to-day grind of married life just has a way of wearing you down. That's what Paul refers to in verses 33 and 34. He says, the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Marriage wears you down. You get worn down by the the physical toll and the emotional exhaustion that marriage requires. There's all the regular stuff, like cooking and cleaning and taking care of your house and managing the finances. There's all that stuff, same things that singles experience, but it's that much more complex because you have to accommodate the, the needs and preferences and opinions of another person. Then there's in-laws. There's the whole question of in-laws. How, how do you relate to them? How often do you see them? How, how is everyone getting along? How much time are you spending with your parents and how much time are you spending with her parents? And then you add children and then you have pregnancies and diapers and school and extracurriculars and band-aids and ER visits and parenting issues. Then on, on top of all that, you have harsh words and you have unresolved conflicts and you have misunderstandings and you have hearts that sometimes grow harder and harder with each passing year when there is no resolution and forgiveness. Marriage is hard. And it leads to married men and women being anxious about many worldly things. Now let me be clear. That's not to say that you can't glorify God in the day-to-day grind of marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that, that whether you eat or drink or do anything, do it, all in the name of, it, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the glory of God. We can do all things to the glory of God, including ER visits and band-aids. But the reality is that the more we have to do, the more complicated life becomes. And the more complicated life becomes, the more divided we become in our efforts, energy, and attention. There's a difference between being enslaved to worldly things and being anxious about worldly things. Jesus calls us not to be of the world, but we are still in the world. 
And if you are in the world, you'll have to attend to things in the world. And that's gonna lead to anxieties. And that's going to wear you down. Marriage is hard because we're sinners and it's hard because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And so singles, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the romantic photos of your friends' social media pages. Marriage is not that glamorous. It can be beautiful by the grace of God, but every marriage will be characterized by struggle, by sin, and by conflict. That's the warning for singles. Don't think that the grass is always greener on the other side. The second thing Paul addresses here is the challenge for singles. Marriage is hard, yes, but, but singleness, singleness is hard as well. We know it's hard because of what singles are missing. I mean, we, we saw in Genesis 2 that, that God created marriage. He presented the woman to the man to give him a helper fit for him. You remember that? A helper fit for him. That is one of the most profound comprehensive definitions of what marriage is meant to be. A husband and his wife are meant to be co-laborers in the garden, joining their lives together so thoroughly that they could be called one flesh. It could be one in purpose, one in resources, even one in body. It is in marriage and marriage alone that God joins the two and makes them one. There really is nothing else like it. Friendship approaches what you experience in marriage, but it's not marriage because friendship is not comprehensive like marriage and friendship is not exclusive like marriage. If you came up to your friend and said, listen, just you and I are gonna be friends and we're not gonna be friends with anybody else, that's not a healthy friendship. Friendships aren't exclusive by nature, whereas marriage is. It is comprehensive and it is exclusive and it is the only relationship that says that is what a healthy marriage a healthy relationship looks like. Now in his book, Sam Albury writes about what this feels like for a single. For those who don't know Sam, he's, uh, he's, he's written many books, um, but for those who don't know him, he's a British pastor. Uh, well, an Anglican priest, technically, but he's, he's a pastor, an evangelical pastor uh, in his 40s in, in England. He's also single, and there's a various reasons why he is single. He writes about this in his books. Since he was a, a, a child, he has experienced same-sex attraction. And uh, he has not experienced opposite-sex attraction. And so, based on his biblical convictions, he is resolved to live a single celibate life unless the Lord changes his, his heart, his, his attractions, and brings the right woman into his life. One of the things I love about his book is that he talks about how God has provided friends in his life to meet many of his relational needs. He writes about uh, a particular family that lives down the street. Now, he, he, he paints this, this picture. It's a beautiful picture of their relationship together where they eat together at least once a week. They've gone on holidays together. They're so comfortable with one another that they, they can actually just spend time doing nothing together. And that's when you know that you really feel comfortable with someone, when you don't feel the need to host. We don't feel the need to entertain. They, they, he just goes over to the house and sometimes they just all have a nap together in the living room. It's the kind of place where you can just walk over and do some work at their kitchen table while they carry on, on with their daily activities. 
He's there just because he misses them. He wants their company. They love him. And he loves them. And then they moved away. That's not the first time it happened to him. It won't be the last. Sam writes that when this happens, when dear friends move away, it is another way of reminding us that however close our friendship is, it's not close enough to make someone think twice about moving off. It's a reminder that what your friends have with their families, they don't have with you. And you might not have with anyone. Later, he talks about having anxiety attacks as he imagines what life could be like if he ages alone and one day dies alone. He talks about the heartache of not having anyone to come home to. And that's hard. Singleness is hard. There's a reason why God said it's not good for a man to be alone. The general pattern for humanity is that we're meant to live together with other people in permanent, unbroken relationships. And singles in a broken world don't have that. But what we need to remember is that married couples actually don't have that either. Because of death, because of divorce, families are ripped apart and we are returned to a state of being single. I mean, for those who are married here, perhaps you've thought about this, there is likely a point in your future when you will be single again. I mean, spouses don't tend to die at the same time. There will be a time when you are single again. Marriage at its best can help bring stability and intimacy in your life, but it won't be permanent. It won't be enough. If you're looking for permanence that will never be taken away, marriage will not be sufficient. Only Christ is sufficient. Only Christ is enough because he is the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. Christians, married or single, have something infinitely more precious than marriage. Marriage, as we saw last Sunday, is just the metaphor. It is, it is the passing shadow before we experience the true reality that is the love between Christ and the church. And so if you believe that, that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the savior for sinners, that Jesus is the one who died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and rose from the dead to give you new life, then you don't just have a metaphor. You have the real thing. You have a vibrant, eternal relationship with the living God that can never be taken away from you. And that is why the Bible uses language for the Christian of saying Christ lives in you and you in him. Your life is hidden with Christ on high. All who are in Christ are one with him both now and forevermore. When I was a single man attending McMaster University in Hamilton, I remember struggling with my singleness at times. But I also remember going through extended seasons of contentment. In fact, my, my ideal vision of my future was, uh, was monastic. I, I wanted to retreat from the world and spend my days in the contemplation of the triune God. And, and live with fellow brothers in Christ in, in fraternity and unity, you know, growing potatoes. 
uh, you know, scrubbing floors together and thinking about God and spending our days in prayer. That, that's, that's what I imagined. I, 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 I saw that as the good life because I had Jesus. And though it was a struggle at times to believe that Jesus is enough, there was a sweetness in my relationship with him that, that in my better moments made me realize that, that nothing can compare with this. Nothing can be more satisfying. But then of course I met, I met Nina, I met my wife. There's something different about her that made me want to pursue her and those who know her will know what I'm talking about. But if you know the story, I'll tell it another time, uh, she didn't exactly feel the same way about me as I felt about her. And so I decided to give it one last shot. And uh, of course, the rest is history. She, she agreed to give me some of her time. And uh, gradually, she opened her heart to me. But I can honestly say that if, if on that one last shot, she had said, no, Josh, I'm not interested, you know, move on, I, I would have been content. Because I didn't need a wife. I needed Jesus, and, and I had... Jesus. Jesus had chosen me. He had called me. He had forgiven me. He had cleansed me. He had met me in my greatest needs. And it wasn't because I deserved it. It was because of his grace. And that's where I always want to be, not just as a single, but as a married man. I want to be in that place where I, I don't need anyone other than Christ. Now, if you're married, and I can relate to this, you can say, I, it's hard for me to imagine life without my spouse, and that's true. It's hard to imagine that. I, I, don't, I don't know how I would survive practically. But I wanna get to the place where if Christ is in my life, Christ will be enough. Paul talks about a second challenge for singles in verse nine. He says, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is a very real struggle for singles. He's talking about unfulfilled sexual desire. And it is no doubt a difficult challenge. But my encouragement to the singles out there is to say this, listen, burning with passion does not necessarily mean that God has destined you for marriage, okay? Just because you burn with passion doesn't mean that the gift of singleness is not for you. Paul's not saying that if you burn with passion, you need to grab the first willing participant and marry them. You know, everybody burns with passion. That is part of human nature. That's part of how God made us. And so if everyone said, I burn with passion and therefore I am to marry, we wouldn't have any singles. And Paul would, would be writing fut with, with, with futility about the goodness and the calling and the gift of singleness. Your desires aren't unique to you. They're universal across human experience. So, so what Paul is saying here is not, well, if you burn with passion, just grab the first willing partner and get married. He's saying if the right opportunity presents itself, if the Lord brings the right person, someone who loves the Lord, who is compatible with you, who shares the same values, then there is no reason why you, you can't get married. Marry them. That's a good thing. But if that doesn't happen, if the right person is not brought into your life by the Lord, then don't be a fool. 
Don't rush into marriage. Don't go around sleeping around either. Instead, cultivate self-control. Fight for contentment. Surrender yourself, body and soul, to the Lord as he works in your heart and shows you that he is enough. I am troubled by how many people say that if they don't want to be single, then God must not have given them the gift of singleness. When you think about it, that is a ridiculous notion. I mean, what if we said the same thing about the gift of marriage? There will be times in married life where you say, I don't really want to be married right now. And if we let our wants, our desires, our preferences dictate our conclusions about what God has called us to, but what God has gifted us with, then I don't think any of us are going to be married. Our gifts are determined not by what we want, but by what God has ordained. Christopher Ashe says it simply. He says, I know which gift I have by a very simple test. If I am married, I have the gift of marriage. If I am not married, I have the gift of being unmarried. My circumstances are God's gracious gift to me, and I am to learn to accept them from his hand as such. And so if you're a single and you want to be married, don't have a view of God as if he is, is holding back from you capriciously, arbitrarily. You know, he doesn't love you. Or don't, don't, don't have a view of God that says, well, he must have made some mistake here because I'm meant to have the gift of singleness and he hasn't given me the gift of, 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 of marriage. If you are single, God has called you to singleness and it means that God has work to do in you through the gift of singleness. My friends, if you are single, don't just see yourself as waiting for the gift of marriage. See yourself as living in the gift of singleness. God's gift is in your life right now. You are experiencing it right now. You know, singleness is not just some kind of relational purgatory where you have no purpose. You're just kind of drifting around. There is purpose in your singleness. And God has given you this gift for a reason. Well, what are those reasons? That's when we get to our third point, the opportunity for singles. Singleness isn't just about what you can't do. It's about what you can do to uniquely know and serve God. We see that in verses 32 and 34. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Paul's contrasting that with what he said about those who are married. Married men and women are anxious about worldly things. Their, their attention, their allegiance, their energy is divided. But for the singles, the life is simpler. They have a chance to live in undivided devotion to the Lord. Your attention isn't being split between serving the Lord and serving your spouse. You can focus on serving Jesus and his bride, the church, without all the complexities of marriage. Again, that's not to say that serving your spouse is unspiritual or it doesn't please the Lord. 
Like we saw last Sunday, the Bible calls husbands to love their wives, to nourish and cherish their wives as their own bodies, just as Christ does with his body, the church. But it does make serving the Lord outside of the home more complicated. You know, when I have a long week, that wears on my wife. And if I am to be a responsible husband, I must take that into account the next time someone asks me to meet with them. I can't just be anxious about how to please the Lord. I have to be anxious about how to take care of my wife. And that is not a bad thing, but it is a complicating thing. I don't have the same freedom as I would have as a single man to serve the Lord outside of the home. But if you're single, you have a unique opportunity to be exclusively anxious about the things of the Lord and to devote yourself completely to pleasing him because life is not as complicated for you. You are free to use your time without having to balance how it will affect your spouse. And you're also free to experience what the Bible means when it calls the church the family of God. God may not have provided you with your own biological family aside from your siblings and your parents and your extended family, but he has provided you with a spiritual family. You you have a spiritual family in the church, and that is not just a, a quaint way of branding the church. It's a reality. It's a biblical reality that the church is the family of God and can be experienced as such. You know, there's a reason why the Apostle Paul could describe his relationships with, with Titus and Timothy, why he could say that they are his true children in the faith. You hear that? True children in the faith. Paul was a single man, never, never married, never had biological children, and yet he calls them not just spiritual child, my true child in the faith. He loved them as a father loves his own children. Even even as a single man, he could experience the highs and the lows of parenting through the ways that he cared for Timothy and Titus. Jesus himself never married. And yet he could say, as he looked around at his disciples, at at those who were surrounding him and listening to his teaching and wanted to follow him, he said, those who do the will of God These are my brothers and my sisters and my mother and my father. Every single one of our worldly relationships will one day come to an end. But our spiritual relationships will never end. They will extend from this life to the next. I may be Nina's husband now, but in heaven I will not be her husband because there is no marriage in heaven other than the marriage between Christ and the church. But I will be her brother in Christ, and she will be my sister in Christ. And similarly, I may be the the, the father of my children now in this lifetime, but in heaven, I will not be their father. But I can be their spiritual father in Christ. The same can be true for singles. You have the opportunity to be a brother or a sister or a father or a mother through the ways that you relate to your fellow believers. In fact, you may say you have an even greater opportunity to build these lasting relationships because you're not tied down by marriage and family. You can be anxious about the things of the Lord. 
and you can devote yourself to serving the precious bride of Christ. You know, Paul calls singleness a gift. And what does the Bible teach about the purpose of gifts? In a few chapters later, in this letter, 1 Corinthians, he'll say that gifts are given for the good of the church. They're given to bless others, to build others up. That's true of the gift of faith and hospitality and mercy and administration. That's true of the gifts of prophecy and tongues and miracles. And that is true of the gift of singleness. Your singleness has been given to you, yes, for your good, but also for the good of others as you serve others for the glory of God. And that, my friends, is what is at stake. It is the glory of God. The glory of God is at stake in how you handle your singleness because if you grumble and complain about your singleness, what you're communicating is that Christ is not enough. But if you embrace your singleness as a gift of God given for the service of God, that is one of the most powerful testimonies you can give to the world, that Christ is enough. In perhaps his most memorable quote in his book, Sam says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. So if you're single today, don't put your hope in marriage. Don't put your hope in marriage. Put your hope in Christ because only he can be enough for you. And see how the Lord wants to work in your life in this season of singleness. Because your singleness is not a, mis a mistake. God hasn't sent your marriage to the wrong address. He has ordained your singleness as a gift so that you can know his love and you could express his love to others in his name. It may be that the Lord has marriage ordained for you in the future. And if that's the case, then the best way to prepare for your marriage in the future is to embrace your singleness and to find your contentment in Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you should be content with your singleness. I'm saying that you should be content in Christ. There is a world of difference. The first, being content in your singleness sees the benefits of being alone. The second, being content in Christ, sees the benefits of being in Christ. And that, that, that difference is fundamental. Sam Albury, again, he writes, the key to contentment as a single person is not trying to make singleness into something that will satisfy us. It is to find contentment in Christ as a single person. That is so wise, and that is so helpful. Because I find that, that a lot of us, when we, when we think about singleness, we're like, well, I'm not content with singleness. Well, you're not meant to be content with singleness. Singleness doesn't satisfy you. Christ satisfies you. This is one of the most precious things, one of the things I'm most thankful for in how the Lord prepared my wife and I for marriage. Before we met, we weren't saying singleness is the best. Neither were we saying marriage is the best. We were saying Christ is the best. And it was only at that point that the Lord brought us together. If you desire to be married, if you long for marriage, then the best way to prepare for marriage is to find your contentment in Christ. But if marriage is not on the horizon, and you need to be open to that possibility that God has not called you to marriage, that the gift of marriage is not in your future, then don't fall into the trap of believing that you are somehow living a subhuman life. 
Jesus was fully man, lived a fully human life, and yet he, he didn't miss out on a single thing. In fact, when we, there's a bit of a theological point, but if we say that marriage is essential to human experience, we actually undermine the incarnation, the full human identity of Christ. He was fully man and fully God, but if we say, his mar- if we say that marriage is central to humanity, then we undermine the humanity of Christ. That's not true. Jesus was the perfect man, and he wasn't deficient in any way. Not, he wasn't deficient in purpose or in satisfaction or in joy. He served his father faithfully out of overflowing joy, and he didn't need marriage to bring him into that state. Follow Jesus. My single friends, follow Jesus in the path of singleness and see how he fills your heart with the same joy that characterized his life. Lastly, for those who are married, for my married friends here, and I'm saying this to myself as well, let us find ways to serve our single friends. Rather than looking out at who is gathered and writing off one third of the people who are gathered here as people you could perhaps never connect with, people you could never have into your home, find unique ways to serve them, to, to reach out to them, to show them the reality that the church is the family of God, that they can have satisfying relationships in the church and not need marriage. I encourage you to find ways to actively serve them and fold them into your life. It's a reality made more complicated by social distancing rules and by rules about 10 people in your social bubble. But, but pray about opportunities. Find ways to let these singles know that their singleness doesn't have to mean solitude. Psalm 68 verse six says, God settles the solitary in a home. God settles the solitary in a home. This is the heart of God. It is to settle the solitary in a home. And perhaps he wants to settle the solitary in your home. You have so much to give to them. And if you open up your life, your heart, your family to them, I think you will find that they have a lot to give to you as well. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Both are given by the great gift giver to build up the church. And so may we pursue both, may we celebrate both for our good and for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wisdom of your word. We find truths in scripture that we do not find in the world. No no matter how long we study the ways of the world, the ways of thinking in the world, we will not find truth like this. And not only that, we will not find satisfaction like this. We remember what Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, he doesn't say let him come to marriage. He says let him come to me. And streams of living water will flow from within your heart. I pray, Father, that if anyone here is thirsty today, that they have a longing for marriage, that they would come to Christ, that they would come to Jesus and drink from his unending wells of joy so that whether they have marriage on the horizon or not, they would live a perfectly content life in Christ their Savior. We pray for your help in this area. 
We pray that you would help our church to do a better job of serving our singles, that together we would be the family of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.